Tonight, Senate Committee Chairman on Army Ali Ndume blows hot, asks federal government to declare war on insurgents, bandits and secessionists and also reveal their sponsors. In continuation of our 2021 review, today we shift focus to the judiciary and we have the president of the Nigerian Bar Association to weigh in on this. A former presidential candidate in the 1993 general election, Al-Haji Bashir Tofa, buried in Kano following his death earlier today. The president describes him as a nationalist. And fire flares up again in South Africa's Houses of Parliament hours after it was said to have been brought under control. Plus, international news from our London studio. On business news tonight, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries appoints a new Secretary General. On sports news tonight, more players arrive in the camp of the Super Eagles, increasing the number to 14 as the three-time African champions step up preparation for the Africa Cup of Nations. And from Abuja, Inter-Party Advisory Council urges dialogue between the National Assembly and the Presidency to address areas of disagreement in the Electoral Act Amendment Bill. One of the things that the government may be focusing on this year is changing its strategy in tackling insecurity. And the Chairman, Senate Committee on Army, Senator Ali Ndume, has been speaking on ways this can be achieved. First, he is questioning the federal government's rationale in not naming and shaming the sponsors of terrorism in the country. Senator Ndume says this shows unseriousness on the part of government and wonders why he was named and shamed on mere suspicion many years ago. He stated this during an interview with our political correspondent, Terry Ikumi. Just because they were tracking my phone and they said a spokesman of Boko Haram called me. They went and arrested me. They didn't even ask me. They didn't do any intelligence work. So in fact, that time I went to SSS thinking that they are going there to ask me some questions that will help in resolving this because I have information since I'm from that place. They say, oh, you're a sponsor of Boko Haram. And Marilyn, Marilyn Wett, that are their spokesman there, has already, yes, has already gone to press because when I was reporting, I saw press people coming in, uh, coming out of the place. And she was there on the TV that they have discovered, arrested, the sponsor of Boko Haram. That was the word she used. It was not fair on me. I'm still battling with that. My children went through hell. But now they are saying, oh, cover these people. No. So when this government is talking about covering them, I feel we're not serious. This is 2022, and I hope the president will do that, is to declare war. We are fighting insurgents, but we have not declared war against them. The president should do that against insurgents or terrorists, against the bandits, against the successionists. Tell them that you are giving them social period to lay down their arms, wherever they are. They have an opportunity to drop their arms and, you know, you can walk away. If they fail to do that, the government should go after them fully and mercilessly. Let's assume that all these criminals are up to one million. 
I doubt so much if they are. Why don't you kill them also that 200 million will have peace? They are talking about um, reintegration. Exactly. And I'm telling you that identify them, kill them all. For the full interview with Senator Ali Ndume, watch Political Paradigm on Tuesday, 9 to 10 a.m., only on Channels Television. In Lagos, the nation's commercial nerve center residents may begin to enjoy a new transportation experience soon, as the state government has restated that the ongoing red and blue rail projects will be completed this year. That's the promise by Governor Babaji Desonwolu, who says he is pleased that the projects are progressing well enough to be ready by the last quarter. He made the comments during his second inspection of the project, his first official assignment for the new year. It's the second time the Lagos State Governor Babajide Sawolu is inspecting the red and blue rail projects. The tour kicks off from one of the train stations in Ikeja, as well as an overpass for ease of vehicular movement. Next is Yaba, where the project is experiencing delays due to some illegal structures hindering the workflow. You know, this whole place is going to be a big station. You know, it's going to be big. So it's going to affect you, right? Or have a plan. We're working with them to see where we can relocate them around the Yaba community. You remember very well that there were some houses wanted to take, but the families, I mean, refused. So we're still in conversation with some land around. Um, the Yaba market so that we can pay compensation and rebuild um, something for them. The next stop is the Onyibo rail construction area where the overpass is almost ready. The Red Line project, which is a 37-kilometer mass transit route, was flagged off in April 2021 and will transverse Agbado to Marina. So the team heads to Marina, where the 27.5-kilometer blue rail line also terminates, bringing in passengers from Okokumaiko. The Lagos Blue Line viaduct spans between Marina and Igomu stations, with a total of 262 segments. The delivery date for both lines is on course for the end of 2022. At, at the Marina station, you can see that it's going to be the most iconic uh, it's, extend, it's extended over 200 meters and is an elevated station, right? Um, they're on track. We're believing that one more floor is what is needed before they do a full wrap of the station. Our promise on the blue and the red line are still on course. We're believing that with the contractors coming on a quarterly basis now, come and supervise them, you know, we'll ensure that before the end of this year, we see the trains on top of these trucks. When completed, the project is expected to take care of large passenger numbers and ease traffic along major corridors. Moving on now, 2021 indeed was a very eventful and controversial year for the Nigerian judiciary. All the issues of the COVID-19 pandemic, corruption among judicial officers, financial autonomy, 
high cost of litigation, the speed of justice, political interference, conflicting court orders all impacted the judiciary throughout the year. In continuation of our look at critical sectors in the country, tonight we turn our attention to the judiciary. Our judiciary correspondent, Shalashele, has this report. It's an issue begging for urgent attention, the financial autonomy of the judiciary. So much so that Judiciary Staff Union of Nigeria, Jusun, took matters into their hands when on April 6, they embarked on a nationwide strike, a strike which not only paralyzed the justice sector, but also resulted in extended prison remands for awaiting trial inmates, prison congestion, lengthier delays of court hearings suffered by litigants and lawyers, and of course the loss of pay for some lawyers. The Chief Justice of Nigeria and the leadership of the Nigerian Bar Association intervened, and eventually the strike was called off on June 9. As long as the judiciary has to go cap in hand, begging, acting like a parastatal instead of an arm of government that should have its own budget, its own, you know, that's where we're going to be. Another issue which chilled the judiciary in 2021 and generated public outcry was the embarrassing and indiscriminate granting of conflicting court orders by some judges. Again, the CJN and the NBA intervened. In the end, the National Judicial Council barred three judges from promotion to a higher bench for a period of two to five years. An appropriate punishment would have been asking them to retire. The various panels set up by most of the states during the NSAS protests to investigate the alleged atrocities committed by men of the disbanded Special Anti-Robbery Squad submitted their reports in 2021. One low moment, however, was the controversy which chilled the report submitted by the Lagos State Judicial Panel, which probed the October 20, 2020 shooting of NSAS protesters at the Lekki Toll Gate. But perhaps the most controversial incident in the year 2021 was the invasion of the Abuja residence of the second most senior justice of the Supreme Court, Justice Mary Audily. What made the incident very controversial was that all security agencies in the country, including the Attorney General of the Federation, denied involvement. But following public backlash and the outcry from concerned stakeholders, the police launched an investigation which has now resulted in 15 suspects being arraigned in courts. I must make it known to all and the that we have had rough dosage of such embarrassments and harassments of our judicial officers across the country. And we can no longer take any of such on the bright side, as part of measures to eliminate delays and decongest the correctional centers across the country, the Federal Ministry of Justice unveiled a technology for court reporting and a virtual court sitting facility at the Kujé Correctional Center in Abuja. In year 2021, the courts concluded major cases and handed down jail terms to a former federal lawmaker, Farouk Lawan, a former chairman of the defunct pension reform tax team, Abdurashid Mena, and his son, a former bank PHB boss, Francis Atuche, amongst others. 
It was a different story for Shiite leader Ibrahim El Zagzaki, his wife Zina, and the former governor of Abia State, Oju Zokalu, as they got some reprieve from the courts. The courts also barred federal government-owned marriage registries, except Ikoi and the federal capital territory, Abuja, from further contracting marriages under the Marriage Act of 2004. 2022 promises to be busy for the courts. Notable cases to look forward to include the trial of the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra, Namdi Kanu, the trial of alleged serial kidnapper, Evans, the trial of Chidima Ojuku, the judicial dispute between some states and the federal government over the collection of the value-added tax, the suit by the attorneys general of the 36 states against the federal government over the alleged failure to remit funds generated from stamp duties into state accounts, the suits to compel the federal government to account for looted funds so far recovered since 2015, as well as judgment in the suit filed by the states on the funding of the judiciary. The expectation is that the judiciary in 2022 will deliver justice faster and fairly, as well as introduce reform that will show up its reputation and regain public trust and confidence. Shola Shieli, Channels Television News. Right about now, our judiciary correspondent Shola Shoyele is here with me in the studio to take us through the, that report on the judiciary. So you've raised some issues, um, Shola, uh, concerning the judiciary in the year uh, 2021. What's your general um, assessment you know, concerning the sector last year? You know, Ayo, some of those issues that I raised in that report, they're not new issues. Issues of the financial autonomy of the judiciary, issues of corruption in the judiciary, issues of conflicting court orders, issues of um, political interference, high cost of litigation. These issues are not new issues. They are issues that have always plagued the judiciary year in, year out. And if you ask any average lawyer, we all know the problems. Any average lawyer will tell you that these are the same issues that confront the judiciary. I mean, we get invited to seminars and conferences and we talk about these issues. But what has happened is that we have not moved the conversation beyond just talking about it. We have not, you know, come up with critical reforms to deal with these issues that continue to plague the judiciary. And that's where we need to be going next. We need to look at critical reforms that will deal with these issues. And I know you're going to ask me what reforms yeah, I would like reforms to suggest, because, exactly. because that, that's really the next level. I want to look at the regulatory bodies. That's talking about the National Judicial Council and the Nigerian Bar Association. And I'm glad that the president of the NBA will be our guest on the news at 10 tonight to talk a lot more about that. But for the National Judicial Council, I think that we need to think of, uh, we, we need to reconstitute the membership of the National Judicial Council. I mean, the members of the National Judicial Council, the CJN, heads of courts, they are judges who have been through the system, who have been part of the system. I'm not sure that that body can give us the kind of reforms that we need. We need a body that can handle issues of discipline, timelessly. And so I'd like to see a reconstitution of the NJC to have more vibrant members come in there, lawyers, judges, and the profession knows the lawyers and judges that have integrity, um, professors of law. You know, we need to have a vibrant mix that can give us the kind of reform so that we're not just talking about the same issues year in, year out. For the MBA, I'd like to see the MBA do more to rein in its members in terms of discipline. And 
Because the NBA has been accused in the past of being slow to discipline its members. And whether we admit it or not, the, 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 the lawyers are the biggest beneficiaries of the rot in the system. So the NBA needs to do more in terms of discipline on its members. Then the welfare of judges, non-negotiable. We need to pay our judges better in 2022. The, the conditions under which they work, we have some of the best and brightest judges in the country. Only a few spoil the judiciary, mm. but we need to pay them better. Judicial staff workers, we need to rethink their work welfare. We need to train and train them. And if anyone is found corrupt, let's show them the exit door timely. Most definitely. Shalash Ali, our judiciary correspondent, thank you for your thoughts there and that report. Thank you, Ayo. Well, in part two after the break, we have more on the judiciary for the year 2021. And we'll be joined, of course, by the president of the NBA, that's the Nigerian Bar Association, Mr. Olumide Akwata, to discuss this. Please stay with us. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're watching the News at 10 live on Channels Television Lagos. A reminder of our top stories. Senate Committee Chairman on Army Ali Ndume blows hot, asks federal government to declare war on insurgents, bandits and secessionists. In continuation of our 2021 review, today we shift focus to the judiciary and we have the President of the Nigerian Bar Association to weigh in on this. A former presidential candidate in the 1993 general election, Al-Haji Bashir Tofa, buried in Kano following his death early today. The president describes him as a nationalist. And fire flares up again in South Africa's Houses of Parliament, hours after it was said to have been brought under control. Let's now get more perspective on our review of the judiciary in 2021. And joining us to discuss this is the president of the Nigerian Bar Association, the NBA, Mr. Ulumide Apata. You're welcome to the News at 10. Thank you, Ayo, for having me. Thank you. And Happy right. New Year. Happy New Year to you, sir. So let's start by looking at the judiciary um, in, in 2021. What's your level of assessment? I mean, how would you say the judiciary fared last year? Well, well, I have the feedback from the bar, from the, from the lawyers, is that uh, we still have ways to go in terms of how the judicial system works. Um, I am mindful of the fact that those who operate the system are operating under really, really difficult circumstances. But the hard truth is that um, there is so much more work to be done in order that we may have a more efficient, a more optimal system. Um, for the lawyers, it is often a very painful experience um, running through our court systems. And for those who are the users of the system, the clients, the, uh, for them, they leave our courts sometimes more befuddled than when they stepped in there in the first place. When we give this feedback, you find that the operators of the system sometimes become defensive and they're up in arms, upset at the bar, we speak in this manner, but it's really not about individuals. Uh, it's about a system that is not really working as optimally as it should. 2021 came with its own challenges, so we must also bear that in mind. 
But even when you take away those challenges, when you remove those challenges, we still have a system that needs quite a bit of work, you know, to catch up and um, to, to be more user-friendly, if I may say so. So let's talk about the issues of uh, reforms. I mean, because we talk about financial autonomy, we talk about um, uh, conflicting court orders, corruption uh, in, in the judiciary. Uh, what kind of reforms do you think we can um, start uh, looking at for the year 2022? Well, I, I think um, I think Shola got it right. Shola Shoeli, who spoke just before me, that a lot of the issues that we talk about are not new. So in terms of reforms, I think we need to sit down and begin to tick the boxes and deal with them one after the other. For the NBA, which I am privileged to lead at the moment, for us, we are very worried firstly about the system of appointment of judges and justices. So there must be reform in that regard. How do we appoint our judicial officers? Uh, so quite a number of us, the system needs to be rejigged, system of appointment, because that's the starting point. And you also what, talk about issues of discipline as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is the issue of discipline. So when, the, when you go past appointment, then the issue of discipline is also very critical. Then when you go beyond that, financial autonomy, we know the problems, we know the issues, we know why Jusun went on strike early on in the year 2021. Those issues remain front burner issues and they must be dealt with. I don't know whether it is so much about articulating the problems as it is actually just, that's not what we need at the moment. We know them and um, we need to go in and, uh, you know, get some quick wins with regard to the judiciary. All right, we'll leave it at that. Um, Mr. Olumidi Akwata, President of the Nigerian Bar Association, we thank you for your thoughts on the news at 10. Thank you, Ayo. Thank you for having me. Now, following the commotion that ensued when the Commissioner of Police in Lagos State, Hakim Musu, visited Brooks Estate in the Magudu City or in the Magudu area of the city on Saturday, well, the State Police Command has been explaining what actually transpired there. According to a statement released by the police spokesperson, Mr. Adekulia Ajishabutu, the trouble began when security operatives of Brooks, of Brooks Estate refused to grant the police commissioner entry even after introducing himself. It adds that despite the appeals to the security men to allow the CP meet with someone at a function where an urgent matter bordering on security was to be discussed, they remained adamant. The situation, the police explains, irked the commissioner who ordered the arrest of the four security guards. However, in order to avoid making the estate porous, the statement adds that the commissioner of police posted policemen to the gate to beef up security in the area. Also arrested for allegedly inciting violence against the police was a female resident of the estate identified as Adibola Fatiregun, which prompted some residents of the estate to close the gate, thereby creating a temporary gridlock. The Lagos State Command adds that at no time, or at no time did the Commissioner of Police shut the estate and all those arrested have been released. Let's now head to our Abuja studio where Gloria Umezioke is standing by. Gloria. Hello, Ayotunde. Good to see you. Well, here in Abuja, we shift attention to politics where more reactions continue to trail the seeming impasse between the National Assembly and the presidency over the Electoral Act Amendment Bill, to which the president declined assent. 
this time, the Interparty Advisory Council, IPAC, is asking the National Assembly to dialogue with the executive arm of government and address the areas of disagreement. IPAC Chairman Mr. Yabagi Sani, who addressed the news conference in Abuja, restated the group's position on proposal for direct primaries for political parties. We are of the view that much as we may cherish its perceived benefits, the country at this stage of the progress of democracy does not appear to be sufficiently ripe and prepared for the direct primary elections model in the selection of political party flag bearers. Also, against the backdrop of the Mr. President's decisive aversion to this particular provision of the Electoral Bill, the use of veto by the legislature may merely result in a fruitless exercise if at the end of, at the, end of the day its implementation is not supported by the required funding by the executive. In summary, if we must call a spade by its name, we in the IPAC are inclined to the opinions that regard the National Assembly's position or indirect primaries as amounting to an attempt to use up the constitutional rights of parties as to the method of choice of party flag bearers. The way out of the lockdown, in our view, in the IPAC is for the shifting of grounds by the legislature and the executive arms of government for a compromise and amicable resolution resulting in a win-win scenario. This should not be a difficult task given that the two arms are incidentally controlled by the same political party, the APC. The remains of former presidential candidate of the National Republican Convention during the 1993 presidential election, Alhaji Bashir Tofa, has been laid to rest in Kano. Alhaji Tofa died in the early hours of today at the Aminu Kano Teaching Hospital after a protracted illness. He was aged 74. The late politician was a major challenger to Chief MKO Abiola in the June 12, 1993 presidential election annulled by the military government under General Ibrahim Babangida. His surgeon into politics started in 1976 when he was a councillor of Dawakin Tofa Local Government Council. In 1997-1977, he was elected a member of the Constituent Assembly and was at various times the secretary of the Kano branch of the National Party of Nigeria and later became the party's national financial secretary. Meanwhile, the president has commiserated with the people of Kano State over the death of Alhaji Tofa, describing him as a true nationalist. In a statement by the presidential spokesman, Garba Shehu, President Muhammadu Buhari says Alhaji Tofa was a promoter of Islamic culture and civilization and unafraid to speak the truth. President Buhari prayed to Allah for the repose of his soul and grants the fortitude to the bereaved family and friends. He's also sent a delegation to Kano with a condolence letter to the governor, Abdullahi Ganduji. A new COVID-19 restriction is kicking in at the presidential villa where all visitors, including governors, are now required to take a rapid test before entering the facility. The senior special assistant to the president on media and publicity, Mr. Garba Shehu, who affirmed this in a message, explained that the new development is not unusual as it is a growing practice in government offices around the world. 
He adds that the test kits, which are issued for free at the gate, is a temporary measure against the backdrop of the recent spike in the number of COVID-19 cases in the country. Well, still ahead on the news at 10, find out the complaints Abuja indigents have against the federal government. Plus, Apple emerges first U.S. company to reach a market cap of $3 trillion in under four years. That's some business news to join us again. Welcome back. You're still watching the news at 10, coming to you live on Channels Television. Indigens of the Federal Capital Territory are seeking increased recognition and participation in the Federal Government, claiming that the current governance structure marginalizes them. They made this position known during the annual cultural festival of the Bagi people, who are the dominant original indigens of the area, known as the Federal Capital Territory. <laughs> It's the annual cultural festival of the Bagi people holding at the King's Palace in Karu, the first settlement of Abuja indigens. There are beautiful cultural displays to the delight of guests, including traditional rulers, academicians and politicians from the Federal Capital Territory. Notwithstanding the fact that it's a day to showcase their cultural heritage to the world, the occasion provides another opportunity for a strong political message. We have a message that we pass to our neighbors and we pass to uh, the government of the day to enable uh, them appreciate who we are, to appreciate what we need, and also uh, to enable them respond to our needs. We have a group of vibrant, brilliant young men. We are determined to take them to the heights that will uh, put pay to the marginalization, to the abuse of the Bagi race. In recent times, Abuja indigents have decried marginalization which in some cases have led to protests in the Federal Capital Territory. The chairman of Abuja Municipal Area Council, Mr. Abdullahi Kandido, says the solution to improving the plights of indigents is in the hands of a National Assembly. National Assembly is the place where our problem is going to be solved. Our problems are only going to be solved in the National Assembly. And if we have very eloquent leadership in the National Assembly, to God will be the glory for all of us. Mr. Kandidu also made an appeal for peaceful area council elections in the FCT, which has been scheduled to hold next month. We are barely 35, 40 days to area council elections. This election is very important in the life of the political administration of our councils and people. Please let us approach this election with love and peace. We are not enemies, we are not rivals. 
as guests enjoy the euphoria of this annual festivity, many hope that the appeal for a peaceful election will be adhered to as the six area councils in Abuja elect the executives at the local level. Well, that's all from the nation's capital. It's back to you, Ayotunde, Lagos. Many thanks, Gloria. Following the recent fire incident at the Port Harcourt Refining Company in LMA River State, the management is assuring Nigerians that the incident will not disrupt the ongoing rehabilitation of the two refineries at the complex. The managing director of the company, Ahmed Diko, who stated this during an inspection of the site, also allayed fears of the host communities over the development. was used for the transfer of the naphtha from the truck to our tanks had a spark. It could be an electric spark or something that really ignited a fire. Based on the volatility and flammability of the naphtha, which I said is just like petrol, and then the fire started. And as I said earlier again, safety is key thing to anybody in that kind of business. And we will continue to do the more we can and ensure that in any operations we do, safety is taking priority and we do things as it should be. But of course, it must always be said that things like this are not really out of the way in a business like we do in oil and gas. But as I said again, safety is key priority for us in PHRC and indeed NMPC and we'll continue to make sure we do everything safely in a manner that this kind of occurrence will not happen. Measures by the federal government to improve food storage, preservation and sufficiency appear to be in top gear. As the government says, it remains committed to the total transformation of the agricultural sector. Well, the Minister of Agriculture, Dr. Mohamed Abubakar, made this known in Ibadan, the Oyo State capital, at the newly rehabilitated complex of the Nigerian Stored Products Research Institute. The institute, saddled with the eradication of post-harvest losses and food preservation, is to serve farmers in Oyo, Oshun and Ekiti states. This rehabilitated structure was built in 1956 to manage post-harvest losses of food crops and scale of food preservation in Nigeria. After being abandoned for many decades, the Nigerian Stored Products Research Institute administrative building is now better positioned to achieve its mandate. Being in the community where there are other research institutes at both national and international and having that old look did not augur well for the morale of the staff but with this new structure um, i'm sure that we are they are happy and they'll be able to go out to do the, put in their best the minister of agriculture who is represented at the event by the executive secretary of agricultural council of nigeria is calling on farmers to leverage on the innovation from research institutes the farmers present here today must make sure that they assess the facilities that are available in all our research institutes. We have about uh, 16 agricultural research institutes that are established to render services. First for genetic improvement, but we have added training arm to them, we have also added extension work. We are also at the verge of allowing them to be distributing input just like Nisri is doing today. So they must uh, avail themselves of the opportunities that are abound in uh, most of these research institutes, especially with Nisri, because the greater damage is done, 
after you have labored, you have suffered, you have tilled the soil, you have made all forms of input, then at the end of it you have a problem. So let them avail themselves of the opportunity that abound. Some of the farmers who are major stakeholders in industry are calling for better funding for agricultural development. More money must be uh, voted for agriculture because if you get agriculture well, you've gotten everything well in the country. You will have solved uh, uh, food uh, insecurity, you have solved the problem of uh, insecurity, you will have solved a lot of things, health, employment. So this is what we are saying, more money must be voted into agriculture so that we can get so many things right. With at least 16 agricultural institutes spread across the country, collaboration between farmers and researchers at institutes such as this will no doubt improve the nation's food security. It's time now for Business News with Anne Waldo. Anne. Thanks a lot, Ayo. Hello and welcome to Business News. We begin with a new appointment. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, has appointed Mr. Haytham Algais of Kuwait as its new Secretary General with effect from August 2022. Mr. Algais, picked at a virtual special meeting of the OPEC conference held today, will now replace Mohamed Bakindo, whose second term as OPEC Secretary General ends in July 2022. He is a veteran of the Kuwait Petroleum Corporation and Kuwait's OPEC governor from 2017 to June 2021, and he currently serves as the deputy managing director of international marketing at KPC. Meanwhile, OPEC's current secretary general, Mohamed Barkindo, shares the latest outlook for the oil market. In terms of the economy, the global GDP growth Forecast for 2021 has been revised down slightly to 5.5% from 5.6% last month, while the 2022 growth forecast remains unchanged at 4.2%. Looking at demand, we foresee wall oil demand increasing by 5.7 million barrels a day in 2021 and 4.2 million barrels a day both unchanged from last month. World total demand in 2021 is now pegged at 96.5 MBD and at 100.6 MBD in 2022, surpassing pre-pandemic levels. In terms of the supply side, non-OPEC supply in 2021 is expected to grow by 700,000 barrels a day to uh, barrels a day to average 63.7 MBD and change from last month. For 2022, however, non-OPEC supply growth is focused at a hefty 3 million barrels a day or for an average of 66.7 MBD, also unchanged from last month. We continue to monitor the potential near-term impacts if some leading consuming countries carry through with their announced plans to release an estimated 7 million barrels from their strategic oil reserves. 
Apple Incorporated has become the first U.S. company to reach $3 trillion in market value under four years. That's its latest milestone amid a pandemic era. Apple shares crossed the milestone when they topped $182.8 today, showing investors' confidence in Apple stock and its ability to grow. Apple showed annual growth across all of its product categories in its fourth quarter earnings, with revenue up 29% year-on-year. The total asset value of the global Islamic finance industry is expected to hit $4.94 trillion by the year 2025, with Nigeria expected to play a major part in its growth. A 2021 report released by the Islamic Finance Development shows that the oversubscription rates for sovereign sukuk indicates continues to grow. According to that report also, Nigeria and Egypt were the most notable among 15 countries that issued Sukuk globally in 2020, and this is coming after their absence in 2019. Meanwhile, major activities in the Nigerian Islamic banking space recorded major activities last year, which includes its fourth sovereign Sukuk of 250 billion Naira issued in December, which was oversubscribed by 865 billion Naira. The Securities and Exchange Commission has authorized Race and Nigeria Limited to proceed with a proposed mandatory takeover offer of 1.19 billion ordinary shares of Champion Breweries PLC at 2 naira 60 kobo per share. A statement released by the Nigerian Exchange Limited says the MTO represents 15.3% of the equity stake in Champion Breweries, having acquired a controlling stake in the Uyo-based brewer through a series of transactions. The offer opens on Monday, January the 10th, and it closes on January the 31st, 2022. Race and Nigeria Limited is a special purpose acquisition company of Nigerian breweries. And that's business news for tonight. Thank you for watching. I'm Anne Mwawadu. It's back to you, Ayo. Thank you so much, Anne. The fire that gutted South Africa's parliament yesterday has flared up again. Now, the new blaze broke out at the complex housing the two chambers of national parliament in Cape Town. For more on this and other international news, here's Simon Pusey with Around the World in Five. Good evening and welcome to the Channel Studios here in London with your international news around the world in five. Tensions are high in Sudan after the Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok resigned with the United States calling for the immediate return of civilian rule. It's after another day of mass protests in the capital Khartoum. Thousands marched against a recent deal he had done to share power with the army who staged a coup in October. But military forces again responded with force, leaving two people dead. In a televised address, Mr. Hamdok said the country was at a dangerous turning point that threatens its whole survival. His resignation is another blow to Sudan's fragile attempts at a transition to democratic rule after a popular uprising led to the overthrow of Sudan's long-term president, Omar al-Bashir, in 2019. There was no monitoring of the CCTV cameras. A press conference has taken place to reassure South Africans after the country's parliament was severely damaged in a fire. Firefighters worked for hours to extinguish the blaze, which started on Sunday. A man has been arrested and will appear in court on Tuesday facing charges of arson, housebreaking and theft. Particularly after we gave the arch 
what I would call the best send-off yesterday. President Cyril Ramaphosa called it a terrible and devastating event and vowed Parliament's work would continue. Iran has vowed to take revenge for the killing of Qasem Soleimani if Donald Trump is not put on trial. Iran's permanent representative to the United Nations has also urged the Security Council to hold the US and Israel responsible for the assassination. Ceremonies have been held across Iran and Iraq on the anniversary of the top general's death. Today marks two years since a U.S. Army drone attack killed the Iranian army chief and nine others. South Korea's military suspects a man who crossed the heavily fortified border into the north on New Year's Day previously defected to the south. Officials believe he is a gymnast who jumped the barbed wire fence into South Korea in 2020. It is not clear why he made the perilous return crossing or if he is alive or dead. North Korea has implemented a shoot-on-site policy at the border to prevent the spread of COVID-19. A midnight eviction of some residents in the Chinese city of Xi'an, who were later taken into quarantine facilities, has sparked concern on social media. Xi'an is at the epicenter of China's current COVID outbreak, and authorities have enacted drastic measures. All 13 million residents are confined to their homes and cannot leave to buy food or supplies. Authorities are hoping to eliminate the outbreak before Lunar New Year and the Winter Olympics in Beijing next month. Chinese real estate giant Evergrande has suspended trade in its shares in Hong Kong as investors await news on its restructuring plan. The statement to the stock exchange did not give a reason for the trading halt. Evergrande has more than $300 billion of debt and is scrambling to raise cash. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro and his team have arrived in Sao Paulo by plane for his hospitalization. It's after he suffered an intestinal blockage. The president's office said earlier that he had been suffering abdominal pain. Bolsonaro has been hospitalized several times since he was stabbed during his presidential campaign in 2018. Taiwan has been hit by a strong earthquake causing water outages in some areas. Footage shows TV sets and lamps shaking at a local TV newsroom during the quake. Weather authorities said it measured at a magnitude of six. The epicenter was located more than 50 kilometers east of the city of Hualien. And finally, a video on social media shows people dancing and singing to celebrate snowfall in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> It is normal to see snow falling in Tabuk, where the video was shot, but it's less common to see Saudi people performing their traditional folk dance called Adabka in the snow. And that's your international news around the world in five. Now back to the Channel Studios in Lagos. Well, many thanks, Simon. Mean, Victor Mathias is standing by for some sports news. Victor. Indeed, I welcome to Sports News. 
More players have arrived in the camp of the Super Eagles, increasing the number to 14 as the three-time African champions step up their final preparation for the Africa Cup of Nations. Interim coach Austin Ewabon supervised training today as the Super Eagles get ready for the tournament to be held in Cameroon. It is expected that the team will have a full house by the end of tomorrow. The Super Eagles will begin their campaign at the tournament with a game against the Pharaohs of Egypt on Tuesday, January the 11th. And coach Chris Njuma has called up 26 players to the camp of the Falconets ahead of this month's FIFA Under-20 Women's World Cup qualifier cracker against Cameroon. Cameroon will host the first leg of the tie in Douala on Sunday, 23rd of January, with the return leg to hold at the Mobalaji Johnson Arena Lagos a fortnight later. The winner of the encounter will face the winner of the fixture between Senegal and Morocco for a slot at the 2022 FIFA Women's World Cup finals in Costa Rica. In club football, forward Ferran Torres appears confident about his registration at the club as he was unveiled before fans at the Camp Nou Stadium even though club officials are yet to find the money to cover his wages. The club made an exception by going for the transfer before having the salary needed to register the 21-year-old. Financial details of the deal have not been disclosed but British... And in the English Premier League, Jao Moutinho's late strike and Wolverhampton Wanderers, their first league win against Manchester United at Old Trafford in almost 42 years, beating a disjointed United team 1-0 in the Premier League. Victory for Wolves ends Ralph Ragnick's unbeaten start as interim Manchester United manager. Wolves' last league victory at Old Trafford came in February 1980. Well, it's game set and matches well on sports news. I'm Victor Mathias. It's back to Aya with the rest of the news at 10. Many thanks, Victor. And the main news again. A Senate committee chairman on army, Aline Dume, today asked the federal government to declare war on insurgents, bandits and secessionists. Also today, former presidential candidate in the 1993 general election, Al-Haj Bashir Tofa, buried in Kano following his death earlier today. And fire flared up again today in South Africa's Houses of Parliament, hours after it was said to have been brought under control. And that's the news at 10 tonight. I'm Ayotunde Balogun. On behalf of everyone here, it's good night.